Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. So, how is everyone doing? Merry Christmas, I guess past Merry Christmas, uh, going into Happy New Year. I'm wearing uh, one of my uh, Christmas gifts, and uh, I don't have to worry about which child I am pleasing by wearing whatever shirt they are buying for me, because the, the other two, they're kind of a long distance away, and, and so they kind of had to give me a card. So, this just comes from the one child who is actually here uh, with us. Um, I love that video, uh, Dear 2020, and it talks about the reality um, of the fact um, that despite the fact that perhaps our plans have been messed up a little bit, God's plan uh, remains. And so this is the last Sunday of 2020. And usually when, when you come to a service like this, and I'm always reminded of the last Sunday of the year, that it's that time where you look uh, forward and you look backward uh, at the same time. You look and you reminisce over what has happened over the year, and there are a number of shows that talk about, well, this is what happened in 2020. And then there's the, the optimism of looking forward to a new year. But this particular year, we don't really want to look back, do we? This was kind of a, a hard year, and I can't help but think that as we go into the new year that, that God is calling us and preparing us for something which is uh, special, that we, that we are at a point where God is wanting to do something and prepare, and that we need to be prepared, and that we need to continue to seek him and call on him for wisdom, and whether that's for your family, for your own life, for your own career, or for a church as we go and try and make a difference to become a light and, and to become a length and become the love and, and the light in our, in our community, that's uh, an important thing. Um, we need to be prayerfully anticipating what God is wanting to do. Um, in 2020, there was an individual who passed away, and his name was Chadwick Boswell. And, and for those of you who uh, aren't really connecting with the name Chadwick Boswell, he was the person who played Black Panther in the Marvel movies. Uh, and he was, a, he was a tremendous actor. Uh, yet at the same time, he was a Christian individual. And uh, most the, the funny thing about it is he passed away from colon cancer that many people didn't even realize that he was sick. And, and even as he had, uh, had had these major roles in movies, uh, he, he had endured sickness during, during those times. And, and he was an incredible individual. And there's one time like a year or two ago where he was speaking at his uh, school that he had graduated from. And and being a Christian, he begins to talk about the plan of God and, and how God uh, moves in our lives. And one of the things that he said as, as I was reading his speech was this. He said, sometimes uh, difficult times are the thing that actually activate the purpose of God in our lives and the plan of God. That, that it isn't until you go through a difficult time that you begin to take a look at what is really important. And, and he says, sometimes it is the difficult times that actually will shape us for his purpose. And I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that that's the case uh, for us as a church, that as we go through a pandemic time and as we take a look at our current situation, I can't help but think that God is perhaps awakening something in us, that God is, is somehow activating something in us, that he is shaping us for a purpose. And, and I believe that for my life, and I believe that for your life, and I believe that for this church, and, and that God is going to do something great. And, and I'm going to be spilling into that next week as I talk about the hypothesis of God. But I want to finish 
uh, a series that uh, we've been working on through the Christmas season, which is called The Three Dimensions of Christmas. And, and the, the, some of the major dimensions that Christmas talks about apply directly to what we are going through at this particular time. And kind of, I had them represented by three different gifts. First of all, I talked about the presence of the fact that God is present all the time. His name is Emmanuel, which means that God is with us. And, and it's important to realize that as you go through these times that, that the presence of God is with us. I can do anything if I know that God is with me. The second present, the one I made a little bit darker, is the, the patience, the presence of patience. And we don't like this as a gift. This is not really seen as a gift. But it is the thing that develops us. It is the thing that, that God is able to use to perfect and to mature us and, and to work through us. And when we consider the fact that there was so much time between the Old Testament prophet and, and the time that Jesus had come, that there is an issue with the, the, the thought of, of God working through patience. But today, the third and final gift is the, the trifecta. Now, maybe not know what a trifecta is. I know what a trifecta is. You know why? Because I grew up in a home uh, where there was a lot of addiction. And my father, as well as having a number of addictions, one was the fact that he gambled quite a bit. And as a result, I got to know uh, a bit of the terminology in the gambling world, particularly in horse racing, because I know that my dad all the time was at the horse races. And um, this may seem strange to you, but... I had assumed when I was a kid that everybody's dad had gone to the horse races and things like that. I had nothing to compare it to. And so I got aware of terms that were in the horse racing world. Uh, uh, one is the daily double. What's the daily double? Well, on a particular card at a particular night of races, if you can pick the winner of two particular races, of race one and race two, then you will win the daily double, which is, which is an incredible win. But the most difficult win in the horse racing world is the thing which is called the trifecta. What is the trifecta? Well, the trifecta is where you have to choose and you have to pick who will come first, who will come second, and who will come third. Not only do you need to know what three horses are going to win, but you need to know in the specific order as to what they are. So as I thought this year about Christmas, that there is a trifecta in the purposes of God and in, the, uh, and in the, the things that God is trying to do and shows us through the Christmas season. There's the fact that his presence is there. There's the fact that, that he calls on us to wait sometimes. But the third presence, an important one as well, is that of purpose, that God has a purpose. And we don't realize how important purpose is until we don't have any until we're kind of stuck at home and we're not too sure what to do next. And perhaps we realize that we still have a purpose, but for some reason we kind of feel like that purpose is on hold. And last week I talked uh, about um, the aspect of uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, and uh, was talking about patience. And let me just turn to that passage again, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And it says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, last week we talked about the aspect of the fullness of time. That God works in his timing, and in fact that we need to be patient in his timing because God is perfecting something in, in us. 
But the next part of that passage of scripture, he, he tells why. He gives his purpose in sending his son to redeem us, to, he, to, to redeem us that we're under the law so that we might receive the adoption uh, of sons. And, and as I take a look at the, the purpose of God and, and, and God's purpose for our lives, and as I was preparing uh, this Christmas season about the aspect of the purpose of God, I began to look deeply into the scriptures. I began to examine where else does it talk about the purpose of God? Well, it's all over. Some of the most profound passages of scripture that you quote, that you have memorized, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, these are scriptures that are familiar to you. Some of those directly are involved with the fact that God has a plan and you are involved in that plan. One of the most famous ones is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things will work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We take a, long, take a look at, at uh, Proverbs chapter 19, verse uh, 21. It says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Of course, we always quote that passage in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. What about Job? Remember Job? That guy who had all these terrible things that had taken place to him? This is what he says in Job chapter 42, verse 2. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He's acknowledging the fact that there is a plan and God is going to fulfill his plan. Let's go back to the New Testament. In Philippians, it says in Philippians 2, 3, that we, that, um, that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But it says this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's both the will of God. Let's bounce back to David. What exactly is David saying? David says so much about, about God's will and his plan as, as he's living out his life. He says it in Psalm chapter 138, verse 8, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Keep working out your will for me, God. Again, Psalm 57, verse 2, I cry out to God, to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose in me. Do you believe that God has a purpose in you? And so last week, we, we talked about the verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, we are his workmanship. That word workmanship talks about poem, which is a poem. Your, your life is something which God is working for his good purpose. We'll get into that a, a little bit more. But here is the thing that I have discovered. That when we talk about the purpose of God, and we need to talk about the purpose of God uh, during Christmas because the Christmas story is all about the purpose of God. But have you considered the fact that the purpose of God is multifaceted, that it is seen in different streams, and, and God has one distinct purpose, and he has an eternal purpose for us, but it is somehow exhibited in different ways. And so if you give me a couple of minutes this morning, what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk about some of these streams, some of these facets to the will and the, uh, the purpose of God. Now, the obvious one when we talk about Christmas is a thing which is called the redemptive purpose. That Jesus came 
and he redeemed us. It says in, in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But I like verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The purpose for Christmas, the purpose for Jesus coming to earth was for the purpose of him to restore the relationship that we would have to God. There was a redemptive purpose. And there's where you get, uh, we, we get some, some Christianese, some Christian terms that, that many times you don't hear in, in everyday conversation. The one, the one term is redemption. He redeems us. It is a, a legal term which talks about not just buying, but buying back. And the purpose for the buying pack is to restore the relationship. So we have these terms which are called reconciliation, and we have these terms which, are, which is called redemption, important things um, for the church. And you can get every single purpose right in your life. There are a number of purposes that perhaps we pursue. You can get them done to a T. But if you don't understand, if you don't actually surrender, if you don't um, submit to the redemptive purpose, doesn't matter what all those other purposes are. The redemptive purpose deals with the fact of where you are going to spend eternity. And for that reason, it is important. And the funny thing about this uh, redemptive purpose is that it is part of everything that we live in in our faith. And that's kind of why Jesus says, um, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And loses his soul. What can a man give exchange for his soul? That's why the Hebrew writer says, well, how are we going to escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And and in Paul, when he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, says, today is the day. Today is the accepted day of salvation. Don't put something like this off. This is of ultimate importance. This is the redemptive purpose. Jesus came so that you might have life. And so the fact is that we are sinners. And, and as a result of that sin, we are separated from God. And when we are separated from God... We are helpless to save ourselves. And Jesus coming and dying and paying the sacrifice and dying for our sins and rising from the dead pays the price. And we become redeemed. We become children of God, adopted, as it says in Galatians chapter 4. This is an important thing. And the crazy thing about all of that is that God somehow includes us in the redemptive purpose that we're included that Jesus, as he ends his ministry, says, hey, you are part of this redemptive purpose. He says, go, go into all the world and tell people about this. This is good news. You were lost, but now you are found. You are part of this whole redemptive process. And, and I find that we have heard this story so many times for those of us who have kind of been in the church for any length of time, that we've heard the purpose of the Christmas story so much that we no longer hear it. And we assume that everybody else understands this, but everybody else does not understand it, particularly those people who are under 40 years old, that you will talk to people who are in their younger years and they will not even understand the Christmas story or they will not even realize that it was truth. And it is something that God is calling us to again speak out and talk about. And, and um, it used to be a number of years ago that we took on the work of evangelists. And, and so what we did is we told people about the truth that many people kind of already knew about because it was kind of in our society and it no longer is. 
And that basically means that we go from being evangelists to being missionaries. That now as we go out and tell people, we are telling people in our society many times for the very first time that there is a redemptive plan. There is something about the fact that God is working, that, that, um, that it's important. And, and sometimes we think, oh, well, if God wants people to know, he'll tell, he'll tell them. But I think that God is looking for a generation who will rise up and begin to talk about the redemptive purpose of God, that we won't sleep so soundly, that there will be an ache in our heart that will realize that there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to lose, that, that this, we begin to redeem the time because it's important, the redemptive purpose of God. And, and, and this is the obvious one that we talk about at Christmas. But not only is there the redemptive plan, there is what I will also call the constructive purpose, the constructive purpose of God. And, and we know that the redemptive plan is of utmost importance. But within the redemptive plan, there is what I will call the constructive purpose of God. And that is the fact that God is continually working on you. That the moment you ask Jesus into your heart, he is working on you. It's not just, okay, well, I'm just going to wait until heaven and then find my place in the choir. And that's all that there is to it. Well, there's a whole lot more to that. It's God molding him into his image, that you have a purpose, that you have a reason, that you have a destiny, and that, and that the unique purpose that you have is different from anybody else's. And that God wants to accomplish something through you. He molds you into his image so that you might be able to minister to those people around you, that you might be able to glorify God every day as he changes you, as he makes a difference in you. And, and that's where this, this, this passage of Ephesians 2, excuse me, Ephesians 2 comes into play, where it says that we are his workmanship, created for, it says this, good works in Christ, that God has prepared in advance for us to do. His constructive purpose for you ties into the redemptive, the eternal purpose that he has for all of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about the fact that God has, has used us and given us each distinct gift uh, uh, to, to work together. And, and I might be a finger in the process, but another person, they might be an arm. And, and we all work together. And God uses our abilities and he uses our personalities and he uses our gifts and he uses our experiences, our good experiences and our bad experiences. Everything that we do makes us distinct to somehow minister uh, to, to and for God, the constructive will of God. And God is creative. God created the heavens and the earth and we are created in his image and therefore what happens is God allows us to, to exercise that creativity ourselves so that we might be able to flourish uh, as well. And so, again, like the redemptive pan, it is a tragic thing when we don't understand that there is a constructive purpose for us. Some people are oblivious to the fact that God has a purpose for their life. You just kind of go on and they just kind of uh, take each day, one day at a time. And, and there are those people who who do know that there is a purpose that God has for their life. But at the same time, they're kind of thinking, well, I have a purpose that I want to achieve myself. I have my own goals. I have my own, 
own ambitions that they want to make. And they may not exactly be the same as that, what God wants to do. And somehow we kind of cut against the grain as to what goes God, and we never ever realize the destiny that God has for us. Some of us do realize that there is a plan, but it's kind of been sidetracked. We get bitter. Something took place. We get angry. Someone has said something to us. We have kind of gone off by the cares of the world, by damage, things that have happened in our lives. And, and yeah, yeah, there's a plan. I know that there's a plan. Wow, you don't understand some of the things that I've gone through. Some people, they just bury their talent. They bury it. And God never is able to accomplish that in their lives. And there's those people who actually believe that God has a purpose for their lives, but they fail to realize that the purpose that they are living is tied in with the purpose of God. That the, the reason that God is fulfilling a purpose in you is not so much for you, but it's due to the fact that God has a plan as well that he's trying to work in the reference of everything. And so, so this is kind of an important thing. So what exactly are you trying to say? Well, God has a redemptive purpose, but he also has a constructive purpose. From the day you say yes to Jesus, God is working on you. Every single day he's working on you. From the last breath that you take on this earth, he will be working on you. And the redemptive purpose calls us to go. The constructive purpose calls us to grow. Pretty simply. Eh? I thought that up myself. That's, I didn't read that from anywhere else. That, that was mine. That's my purpose. I should actually... What do you do that? You kind of pay money to, to uh, copyright that. Yes. Anyways. There is a redemptive purpose. There is the constructive purpose. The third one sometimes we don't realize until we get a little bit older. It's called the perspective purpose. And the perspective purpose basically says this. That when Christ came on the earth and when he ministered on the earth and when he, he paid the price for our sins, it wasn't just for the generation that he was living in. But the succeeding generation and the succeeding generation up until the generation that we live in now, that there is a generational aspect of things with God. And it's hard to understand that because many times in our faith and in our lives, we just can't seem to see past our own lifetime. And so we go on and we choose a career and we serve God the way that we possibly can. But then what happens is we have children and something happens when we have children because all of a sudden, not only do we want to see God move in our lives, we want to see God move in our children's lives. And then when those children have children, we begin to realize that we are not going to see the end story for our grandchildren and for our great-grandchildren. I'm not too sure what position that you are in as I'm, I'm speaking. But then all of a sudden, we begin to say, you know what? Not only am I living for God's will in my life, I am also living for God's will in my kids' lives. I'm living for God's will in my grandchildren's lives. And all of a sudden there becomes a reality into the constructive, or not the constructive, the perspective purpose of God. And it's something which is really important. That God thinks of things and, and he sees things generationally. That God desires to work in our present generation, but he wants to work in our present generation so that we will, in fact, affect the next generation. And what happens is many times, and what God wants to happen, is that as we enter our senior years, we don't see ourselves as seniors. We see ourselves as matriarchs, and we see ourselves as patriarchs. And, and what we want to do is we want to leverage the time and experience that we have to pour into those who are going ahead of us 
to be able to make a difference for a time that we will never, ever see. That becomes an important thing. And it is the reality that God wants to use our lives for his purpose, but God also wants to use our lives to create a legacy that our kids can build on and our grandchildren can build on. It is the idea that God sees things through generations. And the Bible talks about this and the Bible shows this. That Someone once challenged me. He says, when you see a generation which grows up and is selfish and is godless and uh, is apathetic, do you blame that generation or do you blame the generation before who has not shown them the way to live? That really made me think. It brings about the reality that really when it comes down to our faith and transferring on our faith, we are only one generation from extinction. And that's kind of a scary thing. I think that there's something critically important about praying for your children and praying for your grandchildren. I think that there's a responsibility that we have as Christian parents to pour into the lives of our kids and, and we try to build a financial heritage for our children. We want to make sure that we leave something behind that they can kind of go ahead with. And, and I believe that those are important things. But what about the fact that we are called to leave a spiritual heritage, something to put into our lives of our kids and to the lives of our grandkids that will somehow go on from generation to generation? It's an important thing to bless our kids. Have you ever read Hebrews chapter 11? You guys, for those of you who have, have uh, are just kind of starting out in the faith and you're just kind of learning some of the famous passages of Scripture that are just well documented. One of them is Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the Hall of Faith and it talks about uh, the importance of faith and faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen and, and that's where the elders, the, the people before had, had done these tremendous things and it talks about exploits. It talks about tremendous things that were done, miracles that happened. Or it talks about endurance. It talks about the things that certain patriarchs and certain prophets endured. Never ever seeing what that was promised to them. But they kind of went ahead in this thing called faith. And I looked over that as, as I was doing my devotions. And I'm kind of in a devotional uh, thing right now. Where what I'm doing as I'm going through the New Testament. Is I am reading the same book three times. So I will read uh, Matthew three times, and I'll read it from the New International Version, the New American Standard Bible, and the message. And it's just a, a way where it kind of gets reinforced, and I, for some reason, just kind of felt led to do it this way. And, and this time, uh, at this point, I'm in the book of Hebrews, and I've, I've read it through uh, the, three times as I, I've gone on. Here's one thing that I observed as I, as I read through it the second and the third time. It talks about exploits. It talks about endurance. But if you look in... Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 to 23. It doesn't really talk about exploits. It doesn't talk about endurance. It basically says stuff like, well, by faith, Isaac blesses his son Jacob and Esau. You mean that's a step of faith? The Bible seems to say, to say that, that. That by faith, this is what Isaac did for his kids. And not only that, Jacob ends up blessing Joseph's kids. And by faith, Moses' parents see what, that God has his hand on him and they take action to do it. And maybe there is something to this legacy thing. That maybe there is something to this generational thing. 
that as God is working on my life, he is not just working on my life, that he has called me to pour into my kids, and not just my kids, the whole next generation. That perhaps the most important message that I will preach will be one that will happen many years after I am gone. What a concept. The question is, do you really believe that that is true? I remember uh, earlier this year, I gave a message which is called The Shepherding Hand of God. And um, it dealt um, with the story of a fellow named Jonathan Edwards. And, and if you've heard the illustration, because I preached it earlier this, this year, then bear with me. It's a great story. It, it impacted my life as I, as I read it. Jonathan Edwards was uh, a pure Puritanist preacher in the 1700s, lived in Massachusetts, and, and was probably one of the most uh, pronounced preachers of his time. He, his famous sermon, he had a number of them, but one is Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which brought about revival in, in that area, and it was part of the great awakening that had happened in America, and, and he was very much a part of that. He, he graduated uh, uh, at, from Yale, I think he was 13 years old. This was no, no dummy. Uh, he ended up being the uh, uh, the head, the president of Princeton College, and uh, accomplished all these things. Died at 54, smallpox. Didn't live a long life. Why are you saying this? Well, he had 11 kids with his wife Sarah that I I believe he married in 1727, and and it was talked about how he dealt with his kids. That the night that he was home, he would spend an hour speaking with his kids, and he would pray a blessing over all of his kids every night, the, the times that he was home. And so you say, well, what exactly does that mean? Well, what they did, there was a, there was a, uh, a person whose name was A.F. Winship, and just let me, if I read in the notes here, because I couldn't memorize this. He noticed that the legacy of, of uh, Jonathan Edwards went on. And so what he did is he examined the lives of his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren all, all the way up to 150 years past his time. And he noticed something. He noticed that after his death that there were a number of people that were successful. That in his family line, there was one U.S. vice president, one dean of law school, one a dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 are 13 college presidents, 13, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, uh, 11, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, 285 college graduates. How could this be explained? The only thing that they could look at is the life that he had had. As a matter of fact, the person who had done the study said, you know what, it wasn't so much Jonathan Edwards, but it was Sarah Edwards, that the, the godliness that was exhumed in, in Jonathan Edwards was something, but it was even more expressed in the life of his wife and, and in the time where we emphasize men sometimes in our society that, that what he was saying is, yeah, well, it wasn't just Jonathan Edwards. It was a godly wife and a godly mother that continually prayed and blessed over her children that this has taken place. And and the funny thing about this is at around this time, and, and as they were looking at this, they were looking also at an individual whose name was Max Jukes. And the reason they looked at Max Jukes is because they realized at one point there were like over 40 people in the New York prison system that were tied back to him. And so what they did is they took a look at his life. 
and what had happened to him over the next uh, 100 or over the last 50 years with, with, with Jonathan Edwards, they kind of went forward. But when they saw what was happening to these prisoners, they went, took Mac Jukes and they went back and they kind of looked at some of the things that had happened in his life. And, and according uh, to the sociologists that studied him, if you take a look at Max Jukes' uh, legacy, he had seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, 300 and 10 people who were, who were uh, incredibly poor, 440 who were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol. Of the 1,200 descendants that were studied, 300 died prematurely. Wow. I think there's something to this blessing thing that surely goodness and mercy follows those people who trust in Jesus. And the things that you pour into your kids will go into the next generations and the apathy that you have and perhaps the sins that you harbor may also be transferred on to your kids. Incredible thought. I looked at my life this week and I realized as, as I was away from family and, and appreciative of all that God has done in my life that there were a number of spiritual fathers in my life as I grew up in my church in St. Catharines, Ontario. That there was one particular individual who refused to allow me to go away from church once I accepted Jesus. As a matter of fact, um, he would pick me up every Saturday morning because we had a bus ministry. We had 21 buses that drove throughout the community at that time. He would pick me up on Saturdays to go and visit the kids beforehand. And, and uh, he just treated me like a father and when I became uh, when I planted the church he was my first board member and and there was just so many things that he had done to invest into my life not only that but there was elderly gentlemen that kind of took me along and as I was continuing on in this bus ministry and visiting kids there was a senior gentleman who who would kind of hey, I'll drive you. And he began to pour in my life and he would take me out for a coffee. And I just remember one time and he began to, he began to say, you know what, you are actually a wonderful person. You are a great kid. I never heard that in my whole life. And he just kind of said it because he loved Jesus. And, and then it impacted my life. And in a time when, when you went to church and there were suits and ties, I came every week with jeans and a football jersey. And it was the same football jersey. And there are, there's probably a lot of people who could have said, well, somebody get into this kid. But they didn't. Some of my best friends that I developed, their fathers poured into my life. There was a speaker uh, that we had at the church here. Um, his name was Luch Lombardi. Oh, I grew up with Luch. We, we, grew, we knew each other since we were in high school. And, and even before that, and his dad was such a godly individual, wasn't a board member, stood in the choir every week quietly, exuding the presence of God in his life. And, and all of my friends took away from their busy schedules to pour into my life. And I didn't know what it was like to be a father. I didn't really have the best example of a father. But as I began to start my adult life and I got married and I had kids, I began to realize that the things that I was doing as a father were because of these men. And I came to realize that of all these men that I could tell you that poured into my life, of them, my kids only know one of them, have only met one of them. But all of those people had an influence in my life and have had an influence in my kids' lives 
although my kids have never, ever known them. And, uh, and so as we close, as, as we develop, it's the question I ask. What is the purpose? I, I really believe what Chadwick Boswell said. There's something about difficult times that will actually activate the purpose of God in our lives. So this is what I want to do. It's so hard now. Uh, we can't have an altar service. We don't have people here to respond. But I just felt led this week to pray a prayer. Actually, to pray three prayers. I want to pray for the redemptive purpose. I want to pray that as a church and as individuals, God will make us effective in the redemptive purpose because he's called us into it. Next thing that I want to do is I want to pray for the constructive purpose, that God is working on our lives, that God will complete his will through us, that God will use our gifts and, and our experiences and all those things for his glory, that we will be molded into the image of Christ. And I'm going to have Pastor TJ pray that prayer as, as he's here, here helping with the, the live stream. And he's going to right after me pray for that. And then there is the, there's, there is the, the last uh, purpose of God, the perspective purpose of God that, that God will bless our kids, that God will bless our grandkids, that God will continue to move in our lives. And that, and that we'll be so full of God so that our kids will see us and it will absorb into us and it will absorb into our grandkids. And, and way after we are gone way after we are into another generation that there will be influence because God has worked in us. He's given us an opportunity today to pour into the next generation. And I'm going to ask Pastor Glenn to pray over that before we end our service. So let's start with the first one. God, I, I pray in Jesus' name that in 2021 you will make us effective in your redemptive purpose. That it is not willing that any people should perish, but that all would come to repentance, to know you. And nobody gets to know you unless you draw them, Lord. So I pray that you begin to draw people every single Sunday of 2021. You may say, well, what's going to happen with COVID? Well, you're not affected by COVID, God. You move by your spirit whether COVID is, is, is going to be affecting us or not. And so I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you will move and that you will move in our lives, God, and that you will make us effective for the gospel. And, and that even people who are listening today who don't know you, Father, will be drawn today by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I ask, God, that you will do something rich and full in our lives. God, move. Bless whoever listens to this message. Bless who's listening live. Bless, bless those who, who might be listening a day, a week, a year from now. If it, it is still available, God, I pray that you implant upon our hearts a burden for your redemptive purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor T.J. thank you. We thank you, God, that you love each and every one of us, God. Lord, we just pray that you would just guide us and direct us, God, in condolence with what you have planned for each and every person's life. Lord, we, we pray, God, that we would be open to recognizing what your Spirit wants us to do. Draw us closer to you. Lord, we, we pray, God, that our hearts would just want to reach out to other people and 
to minister to other people. That we are able to just do it not by our own strength, oh God, but by yours. So Lord, we, we just uh, lift up this moment, God, as individual people to just come before you. Speak into us, God. Draw people close to us, God, that we can pray for them, that we can connect with them, that we can just be real with them. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.